welcome back to Coming Together for the Good. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hi, Anna. How are you today? How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm delighted to be here again. Oh, so am I. Um, well, Dr. Jane, we've talked about how the pandemic has affected the individual. So I know today we wanted to talk about the family and other significant relationships. Oh, Anna, that's a big topic with many, many moving parts. Um, very often the family is defined um, as a social unit with shared ancestry. And I find that very interesting because this usually means parents and offspring or, or variations of this. But there are other definitions that talk about the family as being a social unit with shared goals and values and long-term commitments to each other. And what I find so interesting is this could be any significant relationship, friendship or any meaningful interpersonal relationship that we might have um, without a shared ancestry. And this is very often, you know, I think about the term that we sometimes use, you know, family of choice, where people are very, very, we feel very close to them, but they're not necessarily that usual um, uh, connection with ancestry. So the family dynamics tend to parallel in all of these social units, you know, significant relationships, friendships, or the actual family family as we know it. Yeah, that's interesting. I've always said that my best friends are like my family. That's no mistake. And the behavioral science around families is called family systems. So systems are really interesting. It's kind of like, you know, your car, your TV, your dishwasher, even your body. You know, it's about a system that has various parts that work together um, for the system to run smoothly. Yeah. So if one part of the system checks out, you know, God forbid, maybe gets sick, or traumatized, does the system stop working? Well, sometimes, but not necessarily. I mean, very often if one part is down, other parts just need to work you know, harder and longer and sometimes run the risk of, of wearing out. But um, you know, it can be done. But clearly this is where sometimes imbalances often start and are perpetuated. You know, the quality of functioning of any part of the system affects the system as a whole. Well, what keeps the system running smoothly, Dr. Jane? Well, for starters, um, open, honest, respectful communication. You know, that's clearly, you know, kind of a bottom line. And then there's also reliability, you know, following through what we say we're going to do, following through what, uh, with what is expected of us. Also, things like what we call um, helpful attunement, kind of listening with an open heart, or what also is called compassionate um, uh, engagement being willing to hear another person's point of view, not necessarily agreeing with them, but just being open to everybody in, you know, the ways that we are similar and the ways that we're different. Um, sometimes if this is modeled by the authority figures or the adults in a relationship, this has a trickle down effect through the whole system and really helps to establish a, um, a uh, code of conduct, conduct for the entire system. So how does this play out in stressful situations? Well, a system may be able to work around some of the deficits, but clearly in um, traumatic stress uh, or even prolonged stress, there may be less of a chance of bouncing back. You know, deficits and reactivity can intensify and imbalances, you know, often get worse, you know, which can involve things like, uh, you know, increased negative thinking 
or thoughtless, unkind behavior, sometimes even acting out, you know, um, all this kind of threatens the viability, the actual life force of the system. Yeah, that sounds like the survival territory that you talked about during the trauma uh, discussion that we had. That's right. That's right. And as a person becomes more depleted, they're more sensitive, more easily triggered. Um, and also the other thing that happens is they're less able to self-assess and self-regulate. So it's about, you know, I can't see my behavior accurately, much less take action on it. So it, it really can be a difficult piece for a system. Yeah, I can see this happening. And at this low of stage, is it difficult to figure out what could move us to a healthier place? Well, I think it's, it, it can be enormously difficult. And I think that's why it's important to um, have established within the system prior to any crisis, you know, a, a timeout policy. You know, this can be enormously helpful. Um, to help people um, move into more um, helpful behaviors, all right? The, the, the timeout is uh, a time when we step back and step away from the engagement with each other, but clearly it's how we take that timeout that can make all the difference in the world. Because if I take a timeout, and, I, and I've, I've done this, kind of stay stuck in my fuming and needing to be right and, and, and you know, uh, who done what and how they should have, would have, could have, you know, then I keep myself in high reactivity, you know, and that's really not going to be productive for stepping back into the system, you know, and working out a solution that's going to benefit everybody. Yeah. So without a timeout or if it's not used wisely, it can just make things worse. Usually. Usually, I mean, negativity can, can escalate. I mean, um, remember that the timeout is chill time. So it's, I'm calling out a problem. I'm calling out, you know, problem behavior or, 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 or behavior that's, that's unproductive or unhealthy. And so everyone is going to step out of the ring because we can't possibly negotiate for any best and greater good at that level of an intensity of, of reactivity. So it's time to recalibrate. So in taking the time out, you know, we need to settle ourselves, ground ourselves, move into more of a neutral position so that when I return, I can return with the intent that I'm going to really work at the capacity, my best capacity, um, to help the team, to find a solution that benefits everybody. Yeah. Well, that's a tough call when someone's in reactivity. Oh, I'm not saying it's easy. It's really enormously difficult, you know, to see ourselves accurately, um, especially when emotions are running high. You know, and certainly in traumatic stress or prolonged stress, you know, which uh, is traumatic, a person's already in a heightened sensitivity and can react to even the mildest criticism, even the most constructive feedback can be interpreted as an attack and keeps the turmoil alive. Yeah, it's definitely not an easy situation. And a very tough call to make. It is, it is. And sometimes the overwhelm peaks out and the response may fall into denial or detachment. I mean, this is never a conscious choice. It's usually, you know, the, the, the product of the overload, kind of the, the whole system kind of hits tilt and the psyche does what it needs to do to maintain. So it's that, that log jam that we talked about in, in trauma. Yeah. Dr. James, it seems like the main objective is just to keep everyone healthy and the system running smoothly. 
that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. I very often think of the, the family as kind of a sports team. So everybody has an assigned position and it's responsible for um, um, uh, doing certain things and doing their best at those for the team. There are rules of play and everybody abides by the rules of play for the good of the team. Um, and certain plays may require people to kind of back each other up or, or cover for each other. And so it's about being able to do that, but then quickly resume our own responsibilities, our own assigned position, you know, and this is what creates both a sense of reliability and respect and builds team spirit. Um, so we're playing our best, you know, mm -hmm. from our best with flexibility to cover for others for the betterment of the team. It's always yeah. about looking at the team as a whole. Yeah. Well, I guess the way the team was working together before the crisis has a lot to do with how they're going to be, you know, dealing with this during the crisis. Absolutely. But I have to say that, that in a crisis or prolonged stress, I mean, it pushes the limits of even the healthiest of systems because the roles and routines are turned totally upside down. And we've all experienced that recently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds kind of like the change-ups in the pandemic. Yeah, it sure does, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and also because we have widely divergent views oftentimes mm -hmm. of, you know, what the situation calls for. And that can really cause a lot of conflict within the system um, because people very often um, can, one member can perceive, you know, very, very differently what it is to be safe, what it is to be secure, and those differences in views can cause, as I say, a good deal of conflict. What feels safe for one person doesn't necessarily feel safe for another. And um, the thinking brain, as we talked about in earlier uh, conversations, you know, the thinking brain really can interpret in such a way and find information to support its interpretation. And this forms what we call context. And so there can be these divergent views yeah. Well, like, system. yes. Yeah. Like in the pandemic, there's, you know, so many people that are operating like it's no big deal. And then there are those that are very anxious. And then there are those that are traumatized. That's right. That's right. And all the uncertainties have complicated it. You know, we've had so much uh, contradictory and conflicting information thrown at us. You know, we've also had the abrupt losses and anticipated losses. Um, certainly lots of fear and insecurity. Um, people who initially were enjoying their kind of staycation of sheltering at home, you know, very often moved to a new reality of what this, what this meant to be confined. Um, and yet there are other people who just seem to breeze right through it because again, their context, their thinking brain put together a different interpretation of it. Yeah. Well, now in, in this re-entry, um, the new reality doesn't feel normal, you know, mm -hmm. At, but the question is, what is the new normal, you know? Dr. Jane, how are most people that you've spoken with managing all this? Well, the context that I've had the last several months um, from folks, um, it's really very interesting because the, the people who were faring the best um, are the ones who sat down early on sometimes and sometimes it was later on, but nonetheless, they sat down with their friends, with their loved ones, and they began to express clear expectations on what a typical day would look like, how social connections uh, would be maintained virtually, 
um, designated times for work, for play, for household tasks. Um, but also, um, they also cultivated this kind of inherent flexibility to be able to revise and, um, and, and revise plans and come up with new plans as needed with everybody's input, which I think is an important piece that everyone would be involved in the revision and also the, the planning of what would happen next. Yeah, well, this makes a lot of sense. Um, but I do have one question. So if, every, if you start off track, can you get back on track? Well, so much depends on how far off track and, and how willing everybody is to get back on track by working together. Um, when, we're, when we're talking about any kind of trauma, uh, whether it be single event or, or prolonged, um, very often individuals are only minimally functional. Um, they need outside professional help. And it's important to, to get them the assistance that they need. You know, a professional intervention um, is usually required. So it's about the family coming together as a beloved team and engaging whatever resources are needed. Um, but on a whole, uh, getting back on track involves everyone on the team being involved. Everyone, you know, following through. Everyone's input taken as valuable. That makes it more likely to get back on track. Yeah, I, I love the team concept. And um, can you share with us a little more of what else supports this teamwork process? Well, it's an ongoing process, and uh, it's it's ever evolving. And, uh, and and I say that because as we work together, there are new creative ways to problem solve and new creative ideas that need to be taken into consideration. So it's always about updating and always about improving. And if something isn't going well, to allow the team as a whole to hash it out and come up with a new game plan. What does a new game plan look like, Dr. Jane? Well, very often it starts with everyone taking responsibility for their behavior, for their reactivity. Um, it's about um, coaching for win-win solutions. And it's also using timeouts wisely, especially when reactivity is running high. Yeah. Well, can you share with us um, some appropriate timeouts? Sure, Anna. You know, a, a timeout is chill time. It's stepping away from the situation. And it, we're stepping away from the situation because usually there is something going on that really prevents us from operating from our best selves. So it's pausing the dilemma, moving to neutral ground, um, moving to a, a present moment awareness that allows people to take responsibility for what's going on with themselves, but also a present moment awareness that allows me to feel compassion for myself and for others, kind of accepting that the situation is what it is in the moment, and also providing space to create a healthier solution that serves the entire team. So very often I say, you know, anything, we can get through anything if yeah. we maintain an open heart and open communication. Well, what else works in reactive situations? Well, quieting techniques, you know, like the focus breathing we've talked about previously, uh, using the breath and a word, because the word is really that device that kind of keeps us from the, from the negative thinking being so intrusive. Um, mindful movement can very often ease agitation. You know, a nice, easy walk 
I mean, some people actually love, you know, like to run or do something very vigorous. And, and that works. That can work for some people, providing that we don't allow our thinking to be in the ne ne negativity as we're doing whatever the movement happens to be. It's also about getting distance from the reactivity, recalibrating the system, you know, and the, the quieting breath, the using the word as a mental device, movement, all can be formulated in a way that moves us into calming ourselves physically, mentally, and emotionally. You know, it, it's really about recalibrating the system so that we can access the best and highest part of ourselves to cultivate you know, constructive win-win solutions for everyone, for the whole of the team or the whole of the system. Yeah, well, walking is definitely a favorite of mine. You know, Anna, the other thing I want to say is we need to have some fun. We need to laugh. We need to play. We need to recreate. You know, we need something other than tasks and problem solving. So it's about trying new things. And it's also about letting everybody, everybody's suggestions be valuable and letting everybody have a vote and sometimes trying things that maybe seem silly or we might feel a little uncomfortable <laughs> with just for the sake of of having some fun with it well i'm all about having a little fun i think you know that dr jane yes, this I all do. sounds great um is there anything else that we may be doing that well, we can be you know self-care anna i you know i constantly go back to that because it's nourishing the mind body and spirit it's about eating healthy and exercising maintaining healthy social connections. The quieting practices are incredibly important in self-care. Um, good recreation and playfulness, um, limiting alcohol, nicotine, caffeine, recreational drugs can be incredibly important as well because they very often interfere with boundaries and also very often skew our interpretations of ourselves and others and can be instrumental in, in really triggering reactivity. Yeah, well, these suggestions sound very helpful. It's, um, you know, I know that there's other things. I know you have a lot of things up your sleeve <laughs> and have a lot of other tips, I'm sure. Um, that feels, you know, so right. There's, if there's one practice that you would suggest to near, nourish oneself or your family and friends, what would it be? Well, I think the quieting techniques would be probably the most helpful. Um, although I do love um, loving kindness, but I want to I want to um, uh, preface that by saying, you know, the loving kindness starts with oneself, and this is a time that part of loving ourselves is also a time to trust ourselves. And there, as we mentioned before, there are divergent interpretations of what safety is, and this is not a time to accommodate anyone but self. It's really about using yourself and your own thinking brain to provide the context for keeping yourself safe. This may change over time, but it's not about anybody else. It's really about us taking care of ourselves in that way. And as far as any quieting techniques or, or anything like that, it's moving us into the present moment so that we can know what we need. We can know what is needed from the deepest part of ourselves. It settles our reactivity and it activates a part of the brain very often that is associated with compassion. You know, the loving kindness that we offer ourselves activates and energizes a part of our brain that we feel more deeply our connection to others and also to ourselves. 
Yeah, well, we certainly need more compassion these days, Dr. Jane. That sounds wonderful. And I, I also um, think that we could all use, you know, I also think we could definitely use some love and kindness in our, in our lives too. Um, this sounds good. Can we give this a try? Can we give the practice yeah. a try? You know, Anna, there's a, there's a practice that, that I find enormously helpful. It can be done individually. It can be done with others as a family as a whole or with friends. And it starts with, it's a loving kindness practice, which is also called a meta. Um, and it can be done, you know, um, at a time when we feel at high reactivity. But I also suggest that we get to, to know it and get to feel the uh, effects of it on a regular basis. So then when we're in higher reactivity, we can reach for it as a technique or a tool and find the settling effect from it. But it starts with just slowly settling into the breath, just meeting the breath exactly where it is. And as we do this, our body very often settles in and settles down. And as we say each of these phrases is to allow it to drop deeply within us, almost in an echoing effect, like pebbles into a deep, deep well. And we always start with ourselves. And we start with, my heart is open. And just allow that to deepen within. My highest self guides and empowers me. My choices serve the greater good. And this sending these out next to loved ones, past and present. May their hearts be open. May their highest self guide and empower them. May their choices serve the greater good. And lastly, out into the world. This includes us as well as the rest of the world. May our hearts be open. May our highest self guide and empower us. May our choices serve the greater good. How about that? That was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So it peaceful. Every so right now, Dr. Jane. It works every time. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Looking forward to our next series of coming together for the good, Dr. Jane. I am as well, Anna. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.